Good morning uh, to everyone. Glad to be here today. I'm glad that you are here. I'll get this technology going here, Lord willing. And yeah, we're set. Um, greetings to the first service people. Uh, I kind of look at you guys like the Marines, you know, the few, the proud. Uh, but you guys keep coming out, first service. Uh, I just want to thank you for doing that because second service sometimes get a little crowded. And if you guys all decided to sleep in and come to second service, uh, Pastor Bud told me this morning there was a time when chairs were set up out in the lobby outside those doors. And uh, I don't think you want to sit in, in that section. So uh, thanks for being faithful to the first service. As uh, Robin said, this is Sunday four in this five-part sermon series on the subject of giving. And uh, Pastor Peter shared for the last three weeks, if you haven't heard those messages, please go to the website and listen to them. Uh, my wife was gone for a couple weeks, so she listened to last week's message this morning before she came here, and I would encourage you uh, to do the same thing. So Pastor Peter gets a breather today. I take number four. He comes back next week, which means he can clean up after me. So I can make a terrible mess this morning, and he still has one week to set you straight. Uh, before this is all over. Uh, I hope I don't offend anybody today, but I'm going to uh, just kind of give it to you straight how I see the Word of God in terms of giving. And I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind just to join your hearts in prayer one more time. Father, it's good to be here this morning. And as we think of the whole concept of giving, uh, we know that it only happens because you are a God who is all about giving. You are a giver by nature. We know, God, that we are created in your image, and so there is some spark of that in us that leads us to give. And so I pray, God, as we look into your word this morning, that you will direct that, that you will open the eyes of our hearts, that you would free us from those things that would distract us this morning, because we really do want to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. A couple years ago, I was uh, leading a membership class, much like we're going to have for the next two Sundays. Uh, and by the way, before I forget, Ash Wednesday service, 7.30 a.m., not p.m., okay, 7.30, early morning. Come here early and join with us for that 7.30 a.m. Um, I was leading this membership class, and we were meeting in a living room of a home, and there were about a half a dozen folks that had come out that were interested in going kind of the next step at this church. And there was a young couple there that were newlyweds that came to the class. And it was kind of cool to have them there. And, and as we chatted a little bit and talked about different aspects of the church, we had a little back and forth discussion and stuff, and then we got to this subject of giving. Because I think it's important for anybody who's serious about the church to understand well, what does the Bible say about giving and what does this particular local church that you're checking out think about giving. And so we did that. And a couple things came out pretty quickly here that let me know there was some tension between this couple. Marie had grown up in the church, not, not that church, this was a church plant, but she'd grown up in another church and grown up in a Christian home where tithing... This concept of giving the first 10% of your income to the work of the Lord, tithing, this Old Testament concept, it was taught in her church, and it was taught and modeled by her parents. And Marie was at this place where for her, tithing was right up there with love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and give 10% of your income. 
It was that significant to her. She felt it was a non-negotiable. It was mandatory. Anybody who was going to be a good Christian would be giving 10% of their income. Now, her new husband, Jack, he hadn't grown up in the church. As a matter of fact, he'd come to faith in Jesus Christ just maybe a year or two prior to their marriage. And he was growing in his faith and anxious to be involved in the church. But this whole concept of tithing to him felt like a tax. It was like, wait a minute, we've got the IRS already. And they're telling me I have to give a certain percentage of my income to them every year. And now, dear wife, you're telling me I have to give 10% more to the church? He didn't get it. It just, it just didn't set well with him. And in some of the interchange, it became clear to me that Marie was really hoping that I would set Jack straight. That I would move Jack over to where she was, and by the time they went home at the end of the day, they would be united like this. Well, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to do that, or that was the right thing anyways, but I went to the Scriptures, and we went to the Old Testament, went to the book of Exodus to look at what God has to say about giving and about the stuff that we have. And in Exodus chapter 32, we have this account of the Israelites in their journey from Egypt, where they'd been in captivity. They were prisoners. They were slaves for over 400 years. And God had miraculously rescued them and demonstrated his power to them and and gotten them out of Egypt. And now they were traveling through the desert towards this land, this country that God had promised to them. And along the way, they had these rest stops. And at one of these rest stops, Moses, the leader of the people, said, look, God wants to talk to me and I need to go up the mountain to talk to him. And so Aaron, my brother, he's the second in command. He's in charge. I'm going up the mountain to talk to God. And people are like, okay, whatever. And so Moses went and a week passed and two and three and four. And we're we're told that the people started getting restless. Moses was up there for 40 days on the mountain And scripture tells us that the mountain had like fire and smoke on the top and it was a really scary place. And here's what we read in Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Moses now comes down the mountain, verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. 
And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. These were the slabs of stone that God had written in his own finger, the messages that he had to communicate to the people. And Moses was so angry, he threw them on the ground and they shattered. Verse 20, and he took the calf the people had made and burnt it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water. And he made the Israelites drink it. Not the finest day in the life of the Israelites. Wouldn't you agree? As we look at this passage, I think we have to ask ourselves three questions to help us figure out what on earth is going on here. The first is, where did the gold come from? The second is, where did the Israelites go so wrong? And the third, what ultimately happened to the gold? The first question, where did the gold come from, is actually pretty easy to answer because we go back to the beginning of the book of Exodus when the Israelites were still in captivity and God had a conversation with Moses and said, look, Moses, you're going to be the guy to lead these people out. And, and he, he laid the strategy out for Moses. And then God said to him, and by the way, right before you leave Egypt, the, the, the day before you leave Egypt, tell all the people to go to their neighbors Go to their Egyptian neighbors. You guys been here 400 years. You got a lot of neighbors. Go to your neighbors and tell them, hey, we're leaving town. Want to give me a going away present? And God said to Moses that he, that God was going to make the Egyptians favorable towards the Israelites and that they would give them stuff. And sure enough, the Israelites, these slaves, these captives who, who were dirt poor like slaves are, they went to their neighbors and said they were leaving town. And the neighbors were like, huh? We're going to miss you. Here, have this jewelry. Oh, look, here's some gold and silver bowls. Here's some bolts of fine cloth. Here's some expensive animals. Take all this stuff. Take these gifts. We're going to miss you. And we read that the Israelites actually left Egypt as wealthy people because the Egyptians gave them all this stuff. God made the Egyptians favorable towards them. So where did the Israelites go so wrong then in this passage? Well, it goes back to what Pastor Peter was talking about a couple weeks ago, this whole business of are we owners or are we managers? And the Israelites took the attitude of owners. It was like, well, this is like winning the lottery. We've been here in this country for 400 years, and now we get this bonus when we leave, and we got all this wealth, and we can do whatever we want with it because we own it. That's where they went wrong. If they would have had the attitude of managers, an attitude that says, this actually belongs to somebody else. It's really not ours. And we're just tasked with taking care of it. We're supposed to be good managers of what has been entrusted to us. And you see, they mixed that up. They thought they were owners. And they thought they could do whatever they pleased with the stuff that God had given to them. Third question, what happened to the gold? Well, back in verse 20, where we read that Moses in his anger, he throws this calf in the fire, he melts it, and he lets it harden up, and then he grinds it into powder, into gold dust, and he sprinkles it out over the water, over this container of water, and then he forced the Israelites to drink it. So the gold was completely wasted. It was lost. It was, it was irrecoverable. The gold ultimately, pardon me, ended up in those little holes outside a camp that the Israelites dug for sanitary purposes. It was gone. It was completely wasted. 
because the Israelites got it all backwards. I don't know if you read this book to your kids or not. I read it to mine. I sure liked it. I just liked the title, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. This was the day that the Israelites experienced that we read about in chapter 32. The terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At the end of the day, God was really angry at them. Moses, their leader, was really angry at them. Aaron, the second in command, had proven to be a cowardly liar. 3,000 of the Israelites were dead. Because they refused to repent from this sin that they had committed by making this golden calf and then worshiping it. And a whole bunch of the gold that God had entrusted to his people was passing through their digestive tracts. It was a really bad day for the Israelites. Last week, Pastor Peter asked us a question. What kind of legacy do you want to leave for your children? Now imagine if this was the end of the story for the Israelites. And this was the legacy they left for their children. This is what the generations ahead would talk about. What happened to the Israelites? Bad legacy. Not the kind of legacy anybody would want to leave for their children. And thankfully, there's a second chapter to this story. And as I was sharing with this membership class with Jack and Marie and the rest, I said, no, hang on. There's actually some good news that comes three chapters later. And so I took them to chapter 35 of the book of Exodus where we read that Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And Moses went on and he gave a list of different materials that they needed to build a house of worship, a place for the people to connect with God. And then Moses sent them all back to their own tents. We read that the people, the the whole community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, ornaments, They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. This is a celebration. This is a joyful occasion as they're bringing these offerings to the Lord. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been involved in something that is so exciting, it's so compelling, it's so good that it was just pure joy to be a part of it? I know you have. I know some of you have. And I know some of us are involved in things like that right now. We're just compelled to be part of it. It's bigger than we are, but it's good and we want to have our part in it. A few weeks ago, some of you went downtown Seattle for a celebration. I have a 
a niece up in Bellingham who is a young single mom, and she took her twin five-year-olds out of school, and she took them down to Seattle to participate in the celebration parade. Why? Because it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Now, we hope the Seahawks will do this again for us, but nevertheless, they will never win the Super Bowl again for the first time. And she wanted to take pictures of her kids so that later in life she could show them you were there that day celebrating with seven or eight hundred thousand of your fellow fans. It was that big of a deal and they didn't want to miss it. Last Sunday, if you were here, seven of our people, our members, our call them our legacy members, stood up front here and shared their stories with us. And all throughout their stories, I picked up on the excitement of of what it had been for them to be a part of this church and how they'd seen God move through the ups and through the downs and how they'd stuck it out and they, they asked the question, why would we go anywhere else? God is working here. God has a plan for this place. This is where we wanted to be. And I, I sensed their excitement. I sensed their joy. I sensed that they wouldn't have wanted to be any place else. That is exactly what is happening in the 35th and 36th chapters of the book of Exodus. The people kept bringing their offerings morning after morning. They got it. Oh, this is what the gold was for. It wasn't for us to take and do what we wanted to, even something stupid like making a calf to worship. We thought this stuff belonged to us. How wrong we were. Now we get it. God had a plan for this, and his plan was way better than ours, and and we can't wait to be a part of it. So, We're going to just keep bringing stuff. We want to build this house of worship. We want to be obedient to God's plan. We want to be a part of it. We don't want to miss out. This is a picture of joyful and generous giving in response to God's invitation to participate. This is a great picture for us. This is a great legacy for the Israelites. This is what the parents should have told their children about and their grandchildren in the coming weeks, months, and years. Now, the story, before it actually ends, it takes a humorous twist. At least I think it's funny. I don't know if you'll think it's funny or not. I think it's funny. But after these people were bringing their stuff morning after morning, we read that all the skilled workers who were doing the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and he sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing any more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. I think that's funny. I think that's hilarious because I've never heard of that happening since. I mean, these people couldn't be stopped. Did you notice Moses never gave them an order to give in the first place? There there was no order. He, He said, whoever's willing, go home and think about it. Whatever you decide in your own heart. There were no orders. And the people got it and they wanted to be a part of it. And they kept doing it and doing it. And finally, the workers were saying, we can't get any work done around here. There's so much stuff piled up. 
And now Moses had to give him an order to stop giving. Let me put that in context. What would that look like for us today? Some of you know Phyllis Knoll. She's on staff here. She does a lot of things at the church. And one of the things she does is she accounts for the money. Any income that comes, any contributions that are put in the offering boxes, she counts it. She accounts for it. She records it. She gives receipts. And she also accounts for all the expenses, all the bills that we pay here at the church. So here's my little scenario. Monday morning, Pastor Peter's in his office preparing the next Sunday sermon. Come in. Who is it? Phyllis sticks her head in. She has a worried look on her face. Pastor Peter said, Phyllis, what's up? Can we talk? Yeah. What's what's going on? She said, well, I can't get people to count the offering anymore. I said, why not? She said, well, it takes too long. And they're missing their lunch. He goes, oh, well, what's going on? Well, she said, you know those offering boxes we put up in the back? Yeah. Well, they got stuffed full, so we put bigger offering boxes back there. Well, yeah, I know. And now there's so much, and these people start counting, and some of them live out at the shores, and they're missing the best meal of the week, and I can't get people to help. Peter says, well, yeah, that's a problem. And then Phil says, and you know what else, Pastor Peter? All the bills are paid. All our missionaries are fully supported. We've got some money in reserve to to put the new roof on that we need to put on next year. All the kids that need to go to camp have been scholarshiped. We we bought 2,000 wheelchairs and sent them around the world this last year. Pastor Peter, we don't need any more money. Please tell the people to slow down with their giving. That would be a modern day equivalent of what Moses had to do in that situation. So anyways, I was finished with the Old Testament with the membership class. I was moving on to the New Testament. And when Maurice realized that, I got a scowl from her. Because I hadn't mentioned tithing once. And now we were leaving the Old Testament. She was very disappointed. In the New Testament, you see, we don't find the word tithing. Jesus never taught tithing. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and wrote the letters to all the young churches, uh, he never taught tithing. And Marie really wanted me to bring her husband over to becoming this tither like she was. I couldn't do that. But, but what I could do is I could point out a concept to them. That starts in the Old Testament and that solidly carries over into the New Testament. And it's exactly what we saw in the 35th chapter of the book of Exodus. We see that we are to be willing, joyful, intentional managers of everything that God has entrusted to us. We saw it in Exodus where Moses said to the people, whoever's willing, bring an offering. Fifteen times Moses used the word willing, offering, or free will offering in his talk with the people. Nobody was being forced to do anything. No orders. We saw the joyfulness in the people as they finally put the connected the dots and realized what all this wealth was for. And then they couldn't give it fast enough. And they kept repeating it day after day after day until Moses finally put the brakes on. This was a party, a wave offering before the Lord as they brought the materials to build the house of worship. And it was also intentional giving. 
It wasn't based on emotion. It wasn't based on coercion. It was, it was a decision that people were making in their own hearts. And we see when Moses sends the people home to think about it after he tells them what the plan is, that, that he's making the, the worst mistake possible that anybody would make who would ever try to sell something to somebody. Once you're ready to close the deal, you don't tell them to go home and think about it. No, no, no. You get the paper out. Sign on the dotted line now. Moses says, no, no, you guys go home. You make up your own minds in your own hearts before your God what it is you're going to give. And this very same concept the Apostle Paul picks up on in the New Testament and he presents it to the churches. And in our last few minutes, let's just look at those verses that Robin read for us at the very beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There we see the willing piece where Paul says to the churches, decide in your own heart what you should give. He's not mandating anything. He's not setting any percentages. He's just telling people, no, this is between you and God. Each of you should participate, but you should decide in your own heart What you want to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, no. Willingly. Willingly. And then he picks up that joyful piece at the end of the verse. For God loves a cheerful giver. Moses ended up with a party on his hands when the people were so joyful in their giving that they couldn't stop. Paul is carrying that over into the New Testament and saying, no, this is exactly what our attitude should be when we give. We should be excited to give. We should be glad we are able to give. We should be joyful because we are invited to participate in something way bigger than us. And Paul says, God loves that. God loves that. The joyful giver. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16... Paul says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And when Paul says that, he's saying this is, this is not just one church I'm talking. I'm talking to all the churches. This, is, this should be common practice in all the churches, all the followers of Christ. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. And this is where... Paul picks up that intentional piece. Paul's Paul's not saying just if you've got something left over, yeah, toss it it in the collection. No, he's saying, no, be very intentional about it. First day of the week, when you get paid, when you get your income, then you should set aside a, a sum of that money. Again, he doesn't give a number, but he says here, in keeping with your income. So there is some kind of a relationship here, a percentage or something that, that he's encouraging the people to do. And that, that makes sense because if a, if a person is, is, is increasing in his income, then he should be increasing in his giving to the church. It should be proportional, Paul says, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Paul carries that same theme right through into the New Testament, and then he presents it to us in the churches today. 
So how did the day end with the membership class? Well, Marie wasn't very happy with me. As a matter of fact, she didn't quit scowling at the end because I hadn't accomplished what she had hoped that I would accomplish. On the other hand, her new husband, Jack, was actually quite happy. He was smiling. And when we got to the end of our talk about giving, Jack said this to the entire group. He said, understanding that scripture makes me want to give 10% of my income. Now, now I was excited about him saying, it makes me want to give. Because there was that willingness. There was God working in Jack's heart and him realizing, no, this is my decision to make. The 10%, I think he landed on that for his wife's sake. Because that made the drive home a whole lot happier for them, for him to land on 10%. And that's fine. That's fine. That's the decision he made. He and Marie both ended up at the same place, but through different pathways. And Jack's pathway was a lot more joyful. Marie's was a lot more feeling like it was under compulsion and that she was required to do this. And Jack realized, no, this isn't a tax at all. This is something I get to do. He he got it. He, He understood it. And that's what I want to leave with us today, because the message is the exact same for us today. We are called to be managers of whatever God has placed in our hand, or or Scripture sometimes calls it stewards. Same thing. We're managing something that belongs to something else. But in both the Old and the New Testament, we see that we are supposed to be willing, not forced, not required, not taxed, that we are willing And that we are joyful because we get to do this. We get to participate in the work that God is doing. He invites us to. And intentional because that's the only way it's going to happen. It doesn't happen by itself. We have to be intentional about our giving. I want to leave this question with you today. Who or what are you going to trust? Because the temptation is for us to trust in our possessions, to trust in our wealth, to trust in our paycheck, to trust in our checkbook. And if that's what we're trusting in, then it's going to be very hard for us to give because then we're going to feel like we're, we're somehow eroding away that thing that we are trusting in. Where on the other hand, if we are going to trust in God, as we say we do and we know we should, then we're going to find that we're much more willing to give knowing that God has promised to take care of us and he's not going to let us hang out the dry. And each one of us needs to ponder that question. Who are you going to trust? Uh, Several years ago, Linda and I had this conversation, and I would actually encourage you, if you're a married couple, to have this conversation with your spouse. If you're not married, get with a friend, get some with somebody that you love and trust and have this conversation about how are you going to approach what scripture has to say about giving? How are you as a couple going to do that? How are you as an individual going to do that now that you see what God lays out for us here? It's it's really easy for us to trust in things other than God. And when Linda and I had that conversation, we decided that we were going to adopt 10% of our of the the gross income to go to whatever local church we were a part of at the time. 
whether I was serving in it or we were just worshiping there, that that was going to be our starting point in terms of, of our giving. And, and we like to be active in the church and it's exciting for us to see what's going on around the church and it's not difficult for us to make that contribution, make that offering to whatever church we participate in. But on the other hand, there were other things that interested us as well. And so we decided that we were going to set aside an additional percentage of our income for those other things. We, our family likes to build a well every Christmas. Uh, in a country where, where there is no clean drinking water, we like to build a well in a village. And so we've partnered with an organization that does that. And every year we, we pool money together in our family so that we can build a well. And we get really excited about doing things like that. We get excited about buying wheelchairs and, and sending them off to people that, that would spend their life down on the ground. We get excited about the missionaries that we support personally that are, that are friends of ours. And that extra percentage that we set aside allows us to do that. We, we have to be very intentional about it because it just won't happen unless we have the conversation. And we have the conversation at least once a year. But I'll tell you, it brings us a great deal of joy to be able to participate in the things that God is doing locally here and also around the world. And we wouldn't want to miss that. We wouldn't want to give it up. I didn't go downtown Seattle for the parade. I missed it. So I can't tell my grandkids that I was there that day because I missed it. But I don't want to miss out on what God is doing and what God invites us to willingly be a part of. So I would just encourage you, look at what God has to say in his word and uh, be intentional about it. Make your decision. Follow through on it. Do it with joy. And I think you will really appreciate that. Let me pray for us. God, I'm grateful for the way that you've used um, different ones in the Bible to speak to us right where we live today. And as we see the Israelites make some missteps, but then uh, understand what it is you're doing and get it right, uh, it encourages us as well. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us in here today that we will take very seriously the teaching of your word. And what it is you are inviting us to do and to be a part of. And God, I would just pray, especially for anybody who, who hasn't gotten to the point yet of saying, yes, I, I want to be involved in what you're doing, God. I want to be generous with the things that you have given to me. I just pray that you would, would instill in those people the same joy and excitement that the Israelites felt when they finally realized that the wealth you had given them was to build a place of worship place to connect with you. And God, I just thank you for each one that has been so faithful over the years that we even have this place here to meet in, this, this building to worship in and this facility to use for your glory. And I thank you uh, for each one who has done so much and been so generous and been sacrificial. And God, I know that that does not go unnoticed. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, would honor those folks. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be here this morning, God, as we go into a time of, of celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Uh, I just pray that our, that our hearts will be reminded of how you gave everything for us when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.